you know, sometimes people tell me, you know, yo, man, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really an optimist. I'm a realist. And I'll ask them, okay, man, well, what's really going on? And they'll talk about, you know, fentanyl and drug abuse and addiction and a struggling economy and inflation and a polarized, you know, polarized government. And they'll talk about the pandemic and they'll talk about all these things that actually are taking place and they're big challenges. But my question after they're finished with the list is, you know, I agree, but is that all that's going on? Welcome to the Drew Perlman Show. Think of this podcast as the antidote to the fear, the noise, and the talking heads in the news. The show features an entertaining blend of ancient wisdom, empowering ideas, and cutting edge, healthy living science to optimize your health and your life. All right, let's dive in and get started. Today's guest on the show is Steve Gross. Steve is a clinical social worker and a pioneer in the field of useful, playful engagement and relationships to overcome the devastating impact of early childhood trauma. Steve is the founder and chief playmaker of the Life is Good Kids Foundation, a nonprofit that spreads the power of optimism to kids who need it most. Steve's signature approach has been widely adapted across the country and throughout the world in response to the social and emotional needs of children deeply impacted by poverty, violence, and illness. Steve, my friend, welcome to the show. Drew, thanks for having me back, brother. Good to hear your voice. Oh, it's so good to hear yours as well. Um, so, Steve, it's been, I, I believe it's been about a year, um, you know, we, we talked sort of in the middle of the or the beginning stages of the pandemic first of all how you been doing hey man i got a lot to be grateful for a lot to be grateful for so um just like everybody else you know life's thrown some challenges our way uh, but you know all things considered uh i feel great thank you for asking that's awesome. So, so Steve, you know, your, your work as a playmaker with life is good. And with, with, with children, you know, it's, as I was, as I was saying to you before, you know, it's always been needed, but maybe now more than ever with all the, you know, with all the challenges, the isolation and everything, I mean, w would you say that your work is sort of needed now more than ever? Well, you know, it's funny cause it seems like that line, like, now more than ever seems to come up all the time after one bad thing or another bad thing or another bad thing. Um, so, you know, I think there's, there's some unique challenges now. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's now more than ever. I think that the work of helping kids to feel safe, to feel connected and loved, to feel a sense of joy and wonder, I think that's that's always a priority and it's always important. And whenever something threatens that, whether it's a, a pandemic, whether it's a catastrophic weather event, um, you know, whether it's it's challenges that are taking place, you know, inside of a home, um, any barrier to a child's sense of joy, safety, connection, um, you know, really needs to be addressed as soon as possible. Hmm. Absolutely. You know, Steve, I, I wanted to, I wanted to throw at you. I, I heard this statistic really, I think it was a few days ago, um, about 
um, overdose and how fentanyl is now the leading cause of death between people ages 18 to 45. This just kind of blew me away. And I saw this and I, and I like, I, I gotta, I gotta, I want to just throw this out at Steve and get your thoughts, but basically it's surpassed heart disease. It's surpassed, um, I believe heart disease and COVID combined. Mm. Um, and, and, uh, as, as it's affecting young people ages 18 to 45 in the yes, in the U S it's now the number one cause of death. And, it seems to be higher, I guess, 3.5 times higher here in the U.S. than in other high-income countries. I mean, Steve, what do you what do you make of that? I mean, that's just, I mean, that just kind of knocked me knocked me out when I heard that that statistic that it's now number one this fentanyl and this overdose. Mm, mm. Well, I, I haven't I hadn't heard that, um, but you know, as you know, Drew, I mean. People want to feel good. You know, it's a, it's a drive to want to feel, when I talked about for kids, I mean, for everybody, we want to feel connected to others. We want to feel a sense of meaning and joy. We want to feel good about who we are and that we're seen and that we're valued. And when those things don't happen for whatever reason, and I think the pandemic has really exacerbated it for lots of folks who feel even more and more invisible or more and more isolated, or, you know, I'm sure for some, you know, I know I've been through it before when, when you sometimes start to question like, geez, what, what, what's going to happen next? Um, what, what, is, what does this mean? What is this all about? What is, um, you know, life is so fragile. And I think that, you know, when people feel really deeply down, deeply alone, deeply isolated, they, they look for ways to cope. And I think there's really healthy ways to cope with that. Um, we connect with who we can. We try to express ourselves. We, we may write, we might read, we might embrace music, we might embrace nature. But I think sometimes um, when folks struggle to do those things, they may think that the only thing that they can do to feel better is to take something, that it's a quick fix. And it maybe eliminates some of that pain for a short amount of time, but then it it makes us sick, it's real maladaptive. So I think that that really just shows a couple of things. One is the human being's desire to feel good and to avoid pain, and the fact that for whatever it is, our environment is causing more pain um, than maybe it has in, in the, recent, um, the recent past. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I know Steve, um, you know, a big part of your work, something something I've heard you say about how joy and, and is like sun is is like sunshine, and how the sun, as you as you say, well, today it's shining bright here in in New England, but you know, it's always there, even when it's cloudy. And uh, you know, how, how do we? Fo- you know, there's, you know, when you look at social media, you look you look at the news. I mean, I mean, there is just so much negativity. It's un- it's really kind of unbelievable. But how, Steve, do we focus on what's right in the world? Because there's a lot that's right, too. Um, sure. How do we do that during difficult times? So, I mean, Drew, it's a practice that we all have to do because, you know, our minds aren't really built for that. Um, you know, we are, you know, I think I might have mentioned this the last time we talked, but we have a human negativity bias. And that is that in the service of survival, 
we are looking for information of things that are most threatening or upsetting or threaten our lives. And so as a result, our brain, you know, um, Rick Hansen, who's a great psychologist, said our brains are like Velcro for negative, frightening information and Teflon for positive. So we're whether, you know, subconsciously we're seeking out what are these upsetting things that can threaten my life or my way of life? And so knowing that helps us out a lot because what we can do is try to intentionally and deliberately um, try to seek out the goodness that's around us. And I don't mean, you know, I don't mean the BS of trying to like, you know, make stuff up that somehow optimists are in denial. But I'm talking about really being able to see the authentic goodness and value around us, um, even though we're we're distracted and overly focused on all the threats and challenges. There's lots of good news out there. Mm. Um, but I think the one thing I want to emphasize is, you know, I think sometimes optimists get a bad name because they're like, hey, you know, don't, don't think about that tough stuff. Just let's focus on the good stuff. And, you know, that's, that's not what optimism is about. You know, optimism is our capacity to see goodness and value in ourselves, to see goodness and value in others, and to see goodness, value, and opportunity in the world around us. It is not about denying the problems, the injustice, the pain, and the fear. It's about not letting those things blind you to the other parts of life. And so I, I, I want to, you know, sometimes people tell me, you know, yo, man, I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not really an optimist. I'm a realist. And I'll ask them, okay, man, well, what's really going on? And they'll talk about, you know, fentanyl and drug abuse and addiction and a struggling economy and inflation and a polarized, you know, polarized government. And they'll talk about the pandemic and they'll talk about all these things that actually are taking place and they're big challenges. But my question after they're finished with the list is, you know, I agree, but is that all that's going on? Because last time I checked, there are other things going on as well. There's people making incredible music. There's social, you know, um, th there's social advocates that are pushing and trying to create justice for individuals. There's educators that are going out and they're trying to help to educate and help children. There's so many people every day going out doing things that are trying to make the world a better place. And many times they're succeeding. And so, you know, we have to, to, to really be a realist, you have to see the whole picture, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, you have to see it all. Mm, that's so, but cute. it's so much easier. You know I mean? It's so much easier to focus on the things that upset you. I mean, think about it. If you went out today, Drew, and you had a whole bunch of wonderful, kind, polite interactions with people, somebody's hold the door for you, have a nice day, someone checking and seeing how you're doing. And then at the end of the day, you had an altercation with someone who was incredibly rude to you and called you some horrible names and, you know, really kind of upset or angered you. When you got home that night and you were trying to drift off to sleep, what do you think would be front and center in your mind? The <laughs> tremendous amount of nice interactions that you've had with human beings or this one thing that really upset you, those things leave an imprint. Mm. 
And so sometimes it's like you have to be able to put that in perspective. Say, yeah, you know, I ran into a guy. Who knows what the heck was on that guy's mind? That's one incident. And there were so many other people today that were kind, that were caring, that were thoughtful, that were polite. And not have that one negative interaction change your whole perception of humanity. Mm. That's that's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I know I'd be stewing on the negative, the one negative thing. Dude, I do it all the time, man. Yeah. I'll do like a talk and I'll get, uh, you know, the the evaluations back and I'll look through them. And, you know, let's say, you know, one is the worst, five is the best. And let's say I had a really good, good presentation. I look through, I go, OK, five, 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 four, five, five, one. What the? And then I'll read the comment. This guy was a jerk. I don't think he knew much. What a waste of time. And I'm like, oh my God, that's all I can think about. I don't even think about the nice things that people said about me. All of a sudden, everything is about this one comment about what an ignorant jerk that I am. And, uh, you know, those things tend to to hit hard Hmm. and uh, they leave an imprint. Because they, they threaten our identity. They threaten our sense of value and self-worth. And, and, and that can be pretty overwhelming. Mm, absolutely. You know, I, I'm sure there's a lot of uh, people listening. Some of them might be parents. Do you um, think there's a lot of people listening? I mean, how many people do you think are listening, Drew? I need to know. Right now, well, hopefully, yeah. Well, well, right now, Steve, no one's listening because what about three? You think we can get three million? Think we can get three million? (laughs) I I think it's possible. I have the power of optimism right right now. Let's push it, baby. Let's push it. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, right now we're recording it. So, um, but but it will be released this weekend. We'll get it. We we get it. We get a nice. uh, We get a nice following here. So, all right, awesome. I know they're going to appreciate it. I hope so. Um, but uh. You know, Steve, some of the people listening, I'm sure some of them are parents and, and to whether you're whether you're a parent or playmaker, I love how you say that you can't share with others what you don't have for yourself and we need to fill up our own cup. And you you talked about this playmaker practice that had some unbelievable questions that I, I don't think I mean, I'm not asking myself as a, as a typical parent, and I don't think most I don't think most adults are asking these these amazing questions. Steve, could can you kind of go into what is the playmaker practice for sure. you know parents sure. and playmakers? Sure, I'd be happy to. And I actually wanted to to just share one thing quickly because I was yeah. thinking about when you talked about fentanyl and how fentanyl changes our brain chemistry. Well, a lot of our perception, our mood, really, it's chemical, mm. and so it's not necessarily like hey, when I do something, like let's say I sing, um, that singing makes me happy or singing makes me feel more positive. It's that singing actually changes chemicals in our brain and that chemistry in our brain makes us happy. So, you know, I think that sometimes that fentanyl or any kind of artificial substance is that quick fix to try to change brain chemistry so that we don't feel as much pain as we are feeling and that we wanna feel better. And so when I think about the idea of a playmaker practice, it's what are the things that you do that when you do them, it creates a chemical change in your brain. And I think that the four questions that you're talking about, 
you know, there's kind of these four domains. And the first one is joyfulness, which is, you know, this enduring sense of positivity. And it's like, there are some things that when we're doing them, when we're taking action and doing them, we feel a heightened sense of joy. It's different things for different people. But one of the questions I think we have to ask is, well, what am I gonna do to bring more joy into my life? And to really think about that question, some people like to write the answers down, some people don't wanna make another list, but to think about and be intentional about, hey, when I'm, um, when I'm mountain biking, man, I feel great. So I know that there's a consequence, there's a change in me when I am mountain biking. So what's my plan to get out on my mountain bike? I know that when I have some solitude and I get to take a walk alone, even for 15 minutes, it clears my mind and helps me to feel, you know, feel better. Well, I have to make a plan to do that. So that first element of a playmaker practice is what are you going to bring joy into your life? What are you going to do to bring more joy into your life? And, you know, or to also think about what are the things that you're already doing that are bringing joy to your life and how do you do them either more often or more intentional? Um, Because as I said before, you know, if, if you're miserable, that energy gets transferred to the people around you. You know, we talk about spreading good vibes that life is good. Well, you can spread negative vibes as well. Um, the, the other question I think that changes our brain chemistry a lot is who are the people that I want to connect with? Who are the people that I got the right chemistry with that when I am with them, I feel seen, I feel valued, I feel better about who I am. And so that key question about who, who are the people in my life that I need to engage with and I need to connect with? That's the social connection piece. So we have the joyfulness piece, the social connection piece. There's another one that, I'll, that we call internal control, which is this sense of feeling safe and empowered and having agency or control over your life. I mean, what we know about the pandemic early on is that people felt like a lot of the stuff was happening, they felt out of control. And I know one of the things that made me feel better in the early phase of the pandemic when people told me, these are the things that you can do to mitigate your risk. So make sure you're washing your hands, making sure you're not touching your face, making sure that you're doing, that there are things that we can do that can help to keep us safe, grounded, and balanced. And so for that internal control question, I like to ask, you know, what are the things that I can do to keep me feeling strong and balanced? And I mean strong and balanced physically, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. I mean, there's a lot of things that sometimes we need to do, especially when we feel out of balance. I know for me, you know, early on in the pandemic, I lost my dad, um, not from the pandemic, but my dad and I were extraordinarily close. And man, I, I, I knew it was going to be hard, but I had no idea the kind of pain that I was going to be in. And I can remember waking up in the morning and wondering, how am I going to get through this day? How am I going to take care of my kids? How am I going to do what I got to do? Because my heart is aching. And, you know, putting a plan together of, okay, well, what am I going to do to feel more safe and balanced? You know, part of that was finding the right grief help, finding the right therapist, because the loss of my dad opened up some old wounds. Um, making sure I was finding time for meditation, for being out in nature, for spending time with my family. Um, there were all of this, these things that I had to do, my nutrition, my sleep, 
um, just to weather that storm. So when you think about internal control, what are the things that you need to do to keep yourself feeling strong and balanced? And oftentimes we know them, but we don't do them. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know that, hey, if we get good sleep, we're going to feel better. But man, sometimes I just got to stay up late and watch the next episode of Yellowstone. I don't know what it is. (laughs) But, you know, knowing what we, you know, what we need and then making a plan to make sure that we get it is really important. And the last one we call about active engagement, which is about being present, being engaged in life in the moment, not being lost, worrying about what's going to happen next or preoccupied on what already has happened. But how can we be present for the moment? And so what are the things that we need to do in order to stay engaged and inspired by life? And, you know, those are different things and different practices for some people. But some folks might say, hey, you know what, when I am, you know, when I'm listening to music or I'm making music, I feel so engaged. Well, then you got to make a plan to make music. I mean, shoot, I remember asking this question to someone. There was an older gentleman who was talking to me about how much joy and empowerment and inspiration he feels when he goes to the opera. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, I'd never been to an opera, but I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then I asked him, well, when was the last time you were at the opera? And he told me seven years ago. And I was like, wow, we know that we need these things. Now we got to make a plan and a practice to go out and get them. And I know it's easier said than done sometimes, and there's sometimes there's barriers. But hey, man, as human beings, we figure out ways to meet those barriers. And so just asking those four questions, what am I going to do? do to bring more joy into my life? Who am I going to connect and engage with? Who am I going to play with? What do I need to do to stay strong and balanced? And what do I need to do to stay engaged, creative, and inspired? And um, prioritize those things because, you know, as I mentioned before, and you just mentioned, that nobody's joy is more important than your own because you can't spread to others what you don't have for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I know when I am miserable, and believe me, I get miserable, Uh, I'm not a lot of fun to be around. You know, I'm not a great parent when I'm agitated and impatient. You know, but when I'm feeding myself and when I'm fueled, um, I'm a really good parent. And I always joke sometimes that somebody like you, a great documentary filmmaker, you could follow me around for a year and get extensive amounts of footage. And then you can make two films. One about Steve Gross, the amazing parent, And one about Steve Gross, the lousy parent, because depending on what clips you used, um, I think you could tell both stories. And the chances are that when we're feeling good, well, our our, you know, our best self shines through. Mm. And to feel good. What I love about that, Steve, is that it, it takes it's a practice. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that's it's it's well, so. It, and it's a practice, and we got to remember that you know there's no one prescription that works for everybody. Hmm. You know, some people might be like, "Hey, I feel so good when I'm out in the pool and I'm swimming," and other people might think, "Hey, swimming's the most miserable thing that I could ever imagine doing." So you know, we really it, it it's it's something that you know requires some some thinking and some intentionality and some reflection because you know if you haven't asked the question about you know, what do you need to do to bring more joy into your life? Or what are the things that bring you the most joy? Um, sometimes that, that takes a while to think about. Mm. And, um, 
And 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 sometimes I think, especially people who tend to be, you know, think of themselves as givers, they think it's selfish to to prioritize those things for yourself. Why am I thinking so much of myself? You know, I got aging parents, I got kids, I got all these things that I got to take care of. And um, it's it's I always say with a playmaker practice, it's not selfish. It's about the conditioning that you need to bring your best self to others. Mm. Mm. Yeah, that's that's so well put. It, it's so interesting because when I heard you when I heard you talking and asking these questions, I mean, these are just four so powerful questions just to ask that I think most I guess adults, you know, as adults, we we're so busy maybe focusing on others that we don't ask for ourselves. And, you know, I could hear myself as I was as I was listening to you talk about this, Steve, you know, parenting my my own son and just telling him, you know, you got to be kind, you got to be patient and just saying it in a way where that, you know, I could hear my voice and my voice doesn't sound very kind. And, you know, I don't sound like I have a lot of patience. And here I am telling him, you know, be patient and kind. Um, and I love how you ask, you know, you know, asking yourself the question, am I bringing the energy? Am I bringing the fun? Am I, you know, what am I bringing to the table here? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a really important piece. You know, I, some, you know, a phrase that people share a lot, especially in the early childhood field is, you know, more is caught than taught. So, you know, you can say to people to be patient and kind, and you can say it in an unkind, impatient manner. Um, and you're probably not going to affect much change. But I think that if you never said those things, but you acted towards that particular child with patience and kindness, over the long haul, patience and kindness would be learned. And um, so, you know, we have to, we can't just talk the talk. Um, we, we have to model it. We have to practice it. We have to be the change. Um, and, you know, I get, I get real frustrated sometimes. And I've found out that like parenting with frustration is never really the optimal, you know, way to do it. You know, it's going to come out and we're human beings and it's going to happen. But I think that if we can be, you know, if we're able to respond um, to children in the moment rather than react with a lot of emotion, um, you know, I think that be, you know, it, it's a real big goal of mine to be a responsive parent and not a reactive parent. Mm. Yeah, well said, well said, Steve. Um, just a just a few final questions here. Um, Einstein had once said that the most important question a person can ask is: "This universe a friendly place?" What do you think, Steve? What would be your uh, answer to Einstein's question? Oh, hell yeah. This universe is a friendly place, especially for, for sapiens, especially for, you know, for human beings. And, and I know sometimes people may look at that. My, my dad told me this great story. I'm going to share it with you um, to answer this question. But it, it's, it's about, a, you know, a guy who's moving to a new town, gets a new job, and he's moving to a new town. And it's a small town. He stops by the local gas station. He fills up his car and he asks the gas station attendant, he says, excuse me, sir, are you from this town? And the old man says, yep, lived here my whole life. He goes, wow, well, hey, quick question. What are the people like here? And the old man looks at him and says, well, son, what are the people like where you're coming from? 
And he says, well, that's one of the reasons I'm leaving, man. You can't trust them. They're self-centered. They're kind of nasty, cruel, superficial. I just can't stand the people that, you know, in the town that I'm coming from. He says, yeah, no, I hear you. He says, you know, got some bad news for you, though, son. I think you're going to find the people here to be just the same. Well, a couple weeks later, a different person rolls in, and this person asks him the same question. And he asks this person the same question. He says, well, what were the people like where you're coming from? The person says, well, that's the hardest part about leaving. I'm leaving a lot of good friends, a lot of good-hearted, kind people who are compassionate and loving and caring. You know, hey, they're not perfect, but I'm leaving behind some really great people. And the old man looks at the person and says, well, I got some good news for you. I think you're going to find the people here to be just the same. I think there's deep goodness in people around us. And there's also going to be some things that piss us off and that we can't stand about people around us. But what you focus on grows. And so, you know, really working hard to see the goodness in others, to see the value of others, to see their kindness. And when they're not behaving in the most kind and compassionate way, instead of, you know, asking yourself, what's wrong with this person? Maybe ask, what happened to this person? Or how is this person trying to get their needs met? or wondering why this person is suffering. Because when people are giving out negative energy, it usually means that they're feeling some pretty negative energy. So in general, man, what you, what you put out there in the world and what you look for, you're gonna get and you're gonna find. Um, and I, I see the world as a really friendly place. Mm. And it's, it's amazing how friendly it can be when I'm giving out the friendliest, kindest, warmest vibes that I can give out. I love that. That's a great story by your dad right there. Yeah, he has a lot of great stories, man. You know, and 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 uh, part of my work now is to make sure that I share those stories mm. and that I figure out the best way to share some of them. And, you know, my dad would also say, you know, in life, you live for your children and in death, you live through them. And so that's one of the blessings that I have is to, to help my dad live on through um, through through my life and, and my work and just, um, you know, how I live this, this precious life that we have. And, and, you know, at my age, you know, I mean, I'm 55 and you called me a pioneer. So when I think of pioneers, man, I think of like really old people, but <laughs> you get to a level in your life where you go, Hey man, time is not infinite. Um, or it is infinite, but it's not going to be for me. Um, and so even if, you know, you're miraculous and you live to a hundred years old, well, that's not a tremendous amount of time. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, some of these great scientists are right, we're going to expand the lifespan and, you know, it won't be unheard of for people to be living to 200 years. Well, 200 years goes by pretty quick too. So, you know, living every day, um, and thinking about the only things that really matter, which is, which is bringing kindness into the world, I think is, is a good prescription for life. Mm, beautiful. Steve, where can people go? So anybody that wants to learn more about you, learn more about your work, where should they go? Well, if you, if you go on to lifeisgood.com and you look for our, you know, 10% for, for kids and our social mission about the Life is Good Kids Foundation and the Life is Good Playmakers. So if you, um, if you, you know, simplest way is if you Google Life is Good Kids Foundation, Life is Good Playmakers, you can Google my name, Steve Gross, Life is Good, Kids Foundation, and you'll find some stuff out there. And um, if you're really interested in connecting, especially if you have an interest in, in supporting the work that we do, 
um, which is around helping to create healing, life-changing environments and relationships for kids um, who have had to endure some pretty hard traumas. If you're interested in that work, feel free to even email me, uh, steve at lifeisgood.com. And I'm, you know, I'm not always the fastest email returner in the world, as you would know, Drew, but, but I, <laughs> I make it happen, dude. I make it happen. I get back. Absolutely, you do. Absolutely. So, you know, uh, just really grateful for, you know, for you giving me this opportunity to share a little bit and for the good energy and the good vibes that you bring out into the world and uh you know how you help to amplify the voices of others so appreciate you man oh i appreciate you steve i always feel great after talking with you we're gonna have to do this again soon on a regular basis because the world needs more of steve gross in it. <laughs> and, and the stories from your dad and stories from you so um thank you so much steve for being on today cool drew next time yeah man next time i'll, I'll we can do a whole podcast just on like pearls of wisdom from my dad we're going to do it. There's some good ones, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah, you'd love him. He would have loved you too, brother. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, yeah, I'd love to do that. Um, Steve, thank you so much. Pleasure is mine, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Drew Perlman Show. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. In the words of Mark Twain, 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than the things you did do. So throw off the bow lines, sail away from the safe harbor, and catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover, and stay well, everyone.